What is going on, Trash Talkers? We are back with another episode. Today, we start off by recapping and breaking down everything that we saw from Super Bowl Sunday between the Chiefs and the 49ers. Then, we report on some breaking news involving the New York Knicks. Finally, with the NBA trade deadline only two days away, we break down some of the league's most intriguing trade rumors and predict whether they will happen. All that and much more coming your way right now. It's off the letter, defended by Simmons. Is this the tender? everybody and thank you for joining us uh we had uh quite the eventful weekend with the super bowl and uh, a lot of news to get to so we're gonna just jump right in um i'm gonna start off by uh throwing it over to nick uh, nick i would just want to get your uh thoughts and ideas on what happened in the super bowl um what did you see from the chiefs what did you see from the 49ers and how did we get to uh the kansas city chiefs being super bowl champions Oh, this was such a mess. This is this is so bad. And I honestly, I I had a feeling this could happen, and I I talked about it last episode, but I really I had no idea this would actually happen. Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo are the two people that are solely responsible for the loss. That this is this is just unreal. How a team with one of the best defenses we've seen and with an offense that has amazing running backs, amazing receiving talent, a solid offensive line, and the coaching staff around it to go as far as they want just to implode because they get away from what works and they move on to the unknown and the unknown was Jimmy Garoppolo. Kyle Shanahan knew that he should have known that no matter what happens, how the Chiefs stack the box or make it look, don't get away from the run game. And he should have known that coming from when he was with the Falcons that you just stick with the run game. You have the lead. They were up 20 to 10 in this game and he just takes the ball out of the running back's hands and he's like, Jimmy, let's go win this. That was the unknown. Jimmy Garoppolo, 
I've so, said it. Sort of like what they did in Atlanta. It, it is. But I, I've said this all season. Jimmy Garoppolo has not proven whether he can clutch up and win a game. We, we, the, the only time we really had an idea was when they faced the Seattle Seahawks early in the season. And in that game, they ended up losing in overtime. This was the next time you're actually going to test that theory out is in the Super Bowl? No. You're going to continue to work with, uh, with what has gotten you to the Super Bowl, and that's your run game. You have Raheem Mostert, who just ran for four touchdowns and 150 yards in the NFC Championship game. 220 and now, yards. Was it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it so, was 220. That, that's, that's just insane. A guy with that, that talent who's working that well in your system – and you just say, nope, we're going to throw the ball. We're going to try to throw the ball. Just because the <clears> defense <throat> is giving us a look that we don't like for our run. They've stopped us a few times. And uh, even if they just continue with Debo Samuel running those end-arounds all game, that would have been better than Jimmy Garoppolo trying to throw the ball because you're not throwing, you're not stopping the clock, and, and you're you're not you know, putting your your quarterback in a situation where he's going to make a mistake. He made two mistakes in that game. I know Patrick Mahomes also made two mistakes in that game. But Jimmy Garoppolo's were a lot worse, and they came in very bad. The timing was horrible. Well, so here's the thing, right? Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't the only person to blame here. No, uh, Kyle Shanahan is the other person to blame. Sure, but, you know, when you think about it, right, George Kittle pushing off at the end of the half when he didn't have to would have given them a minimum of three extra points going into halftime. Um, you know, and then they get the ball back on top of it. You don't know what, what type of momentum swing that has on the game. I, I think that was a huge opportunity that they missed uh, to really capitalize on points. Um, <clears throat> so so I, I think, you know, there, there were certain plays that I saw throughout the game that just – the, the Chiefs, they, they did everything they had to do. They got pressure up the middle, which is a Steve Spagnuolo staple, and they got um, they, they were able to cover well down the field. Now, the, the biggest issue was the, the end-arounds, right? How many end-arounds did they have? Oh, did well, the, the, the first half. Run? The first half was all end arounds for D- from Debo Samuel. I was like, "What? This is you had two weeks to prepare, and this is what you're coming up with? <laughs> this? Who wants to watch this? Nobody. This that was so bad. I just I couldn't believe. But it was it. working, and that was the pr- that was no the no. Problem. Okay, it worked what two three times, but they ran it seven eight times in the first half. Come on, I don't I don't think that's a success. They got lucky. They had the, the first one went for over 30 yards. Second one went for about 20 yards. Like, but they were so spread out. They just, they didn't really help. Kyle Juszczyk was the biggest part of their offense because they didn't game plan well enough. Kyle, Kyle well, Shanahan, just, he's supposed to be an offensive genius. And what does he come up with? The dumbest plays possible. Okay, you, but I'm going to kick it back to last year at this exact time. What was everybody saying about Sean McVay and what he was going to do in the Super Bowl? He was supposed to be another offensive genius. I think you we've seen for two years in a row now that the offensive genius okay. head coach 
isn't what we need, isn't what teams need. Can we? Can you we have coaches like Bill Belichick and Andy Reid who are all encompassing head coaches. You right? They they focus on both sides of the ball. They may have their staples, like Belichick is a defensive-minded coach, and Andy Reid's an offensive-minded coach. But they're they're all encompassing head coaches. They're not coordinators at the same time. I think that's where you find a lot of these issues are coming. I just don't, I don't buy that in this situation because you have so much talent. You've been doing it all season, just putting up absurd points. Right, but you weren't facing a team like the Chiefs. Can the Chiefs score in the who, blink of an eye. I, they have one of the worst run defenses, and because they threw a few looks at you that stop that stopped you and looked scary, you you just get away from the run. Like you have Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert, who you were riding all game, just run different types of run plays. How about that? Don't run it up the middle. Don't just run end arounds. How about you You throw something else in there? You have Kyle Juszczyk, who's a very versatile fullback. He can run the ball. He can catch the ball. We Change something in the run game. Change within what works, all right? Don't get creative inside the game and, and try, to, try to do something that you're not sure that it'll work. Jimmy Garoppolo clearly was not ready to, to play in this game. There... He is not. He he knows what to he do. Was, he, but I he, think he, he was plenty ready for this game. I just I, think that when the spot, like you said, when the spotlight is on him, when it's crunch time, he may not be the guy that can get it done. That's that's what I I see happening a lot of times. He had he honestly has no clutch gene in his body whatsoever. It, it just I could have made some of those throws myself. Like. Just throw it short. You have your shallow routes, just you underneath routes, like something. <coughs> you have all this talent at receiver, at receiver, and you're not doing anything with it. He there were so many plays where he would just sit there and not move his feet at all. I don't care if you're not a running quarterback, that's fine. Move your feet in the pocket, move within the pocket. Tom Brady has proven that he, even when you have no offensive line and you can't, you have no speed and agility uh, within yourself, that you can still move within the pocket and, and get more time for your receivers to get over. Sure. I you think can... that's one thing that people tend to forget about. Peyton Manning was one of the best uh, quarterbacks at moving within the pocket. Absolutely. Um, you know, if you go back and watch any of his big games, AFC Championship games, games against the Patriots, uh, Super Bowls, you go back and watch those games, he's constantly moving his feet, trying to make sure that if he has to, you know, make something happen within the pocket, maybe avoid a, a rusher either up the middle or off the edge, that he's able to do so. But when you look, at, when you take that and then you go look at Jimmy Garoppolo, a lot of what you saw, uh, like you said, was a lot of flat-footedness. He, he wasn't on the balls of his feet. He wasn't ready to move. He was looking to... Get the ball, uh, hike the ball, uh, you know, bring it up to his shoulders, and then just rocket fire it for a short slant round. That's yeah. really all he was looking for and, the entire game, and and it worked uh, to some extent. But the linebackers caught on eventually, and they were like, "All right, well, we're not gonna, we're not gonna come up 
or we're not going to drop back so you can have these easy completions. We're going to make you have to wait there, and our defensive line is going get, to get to you. And that's exactly what happened. They stayed in the middle of their zones. They, they disrupted those slant routes, and then all of a sudden, the, the Frank Clark and Chris Jones and the rest of those boys were, were, were getting pressure with, without dialing up blitzes. They were simply just getting pressure with the defensive line that they had out there. Uh, that that was a big struggle for them, and obviously, if you know anything about football, which I'm, I I know those coaches do, that's a Steve Spagnuolo staple. He loves to dial up pressure with the front four coming straight up the middle and and trying to have you go outside, and that's when the the defensive ends can clamp down and and really get you in a bind, and and that's exactly what they did. They fell in the Spagnuolo trap. Even the the throws that Jimmy Garoppolo was completing were behind his receivers most of the time. His his receivers were having to do a lot more work than they had to. Well, yeah, they were. If he, they if he puts those stride and yeah, if he puts those in the right spot, they're able to get more yards and and make bigger plays. It's just like they they're in a they get ahead of their defender, but the ball's behind them, so they have no opportunity to to get yards after the catch and that. That's such a hinder hindrance on your team. You're just, he. You I don't know. How, we saw that in the first half, and I just don't understand how you don't see that as a coach and say, "Wow, he's throwing these balls behind the receivers. They're not able to extend the play. Or we've gotten big chunk plays from our run game. Maybe we should focus more on the run." Right, but what do you like? You can't just focus on the run. You you have to still be two dimensional. So that my my you question do. I'm becomes, not saying get away like, from it altogether. I'm saying be run dominant, but throw in some pass plays. Be, throw a little trickery. Where was any trickery from the the 49ers? Uh, like nothing. Uh, it we was saw, all on the Chiefs side. Exactly. But look who's winning these football games. The the Eagles won it with the Philly special. T- Bill Belichick always or uh, uh, Josh McDaniels, Josh McDaniels always throws in at least one trick play. Uh, and then you had a whole bunch of trick plays coming from Andy Reid. Though trick plays always have a, a, a habit of winning the game because there's something you're not expecting. And when you're running a traditional offense, that, that just makes it a lot easier for the defense to stop. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's tough because uh, the way I I was talking with someone after the game and. The way they put it to me was, uh, if you look at the game, right, there were two major plays in that game, one from each offense. Now, the the one from the Chiefs was a huge bomb to Tyree Kill on the left side of the field where he got behind the safeties. He ran like a, a deep crossing route and then came straight across toward the sideline, and the ball was waiting for him, and he got... And he got uh, it was like forty something yards on that on the play. That was an amazing play. Well, the Forty ers had something very similar to that, where they could have had a 40, 40 or fifty yard play, but Jimmy Garoppolo overthrew his receiver. Yeah, that was a manual, and it would have been a walk in touchdown. Yeah. So I mean, though, that's really what it comes down to is that one quarterback made the throws, the other one didn't, and and you know. When you tell if you told me going into the game that Patrick Mahomes threw two interceptions and Jimmy Garoppolo threw two interceptions, 
I would have said if you have them on equal footing, that, that's not good for the 49ers because it's not. That the the what needed to happen was Jimmy Garoppolo needed to be a game manager. He needed to go about 70 to 80 percent and uh, just continue from there. So I, I I know I said you know it's all to blame on Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo. It it, it is. There were only a couple plays that the defense really gave up. Richard Sherman is the biggest one where he let Sammy Watkins put a move on him and gave up a, a huge play towards the end of the game on the, on the uh, the drive where they they pulled ahead. And the other the other ones where the the defensive line Joey Bosa I mean I'm sorry Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas Ark Arm said they're all getting pressure, but they just weren't able to finish. Nick Bosa well, had yeah. a lot of opportunities where he was getting his hands on Patrick Holmes. He couldn't take him down. And that's very unlike Nick Bosa. And I think nerves got to him a little bit in this game. And I think he started to get nervous towards the end of the game as the, the lead was starting to dwindle. It, it It's just these players just lost their confidence. And it's just they, they got out to such a strong start. And, and things started to unravel even when it was a 10 point lead and you saw the the Chiefs running down the field you had a feeling in the back of your head like this isn't really in favor of the 49ers you felt the momentum swinging to the Chiefs side so there that's what I wanted to get to there was a point in the game where if you looked at it you said the the 49ers were in good control i mean they had a 10 point lead they had the ball all they had to do was go down there. If they got another touchdown on top of that, it would have been a wrap. At that point, you, your defense is good enough where you don't have to worry about them. Come, you know, as long as you, you know, keep everything in front of you. It, if you make them work down the field, play after play after play, yet you're not going to lose that football game. But they they had to punt that ball. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, they had to punt the ball. Gave it back to the Chiefs. And what the Chiefs do, they went right down the field, scored a touchdown on that drive, and now your 10-point lead went to a 3-point lead. And you were getting the ball back, and now it seemed like, you know, all right, well, we didn't expect them to score this quickly. We've got to kind of turn it on and, and actually play again. It's like they were kind of – they hit the point of cruise control before they should have. And, and I think that, that was a big issue for the, for the 49ers. I, I do have to, as much as this pain is, I do need to credit the Chiefs a lot. They, Absolutely. They came into this game very extremely prepared. I was I was very impressed with how, how they performed, how cohesive everybody worked together. And it's just that that's what good coaching and good players do. They they know how to play off of each other's strengths. And Andy Reid did an amazing job throwing in those those trick plays at the right time. You know, you saw it right right at the goal line. That's when the 49ers are, I think, at their danger, most dangerous when they are able to just uh, the make, make the, 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 the 49ers. They are able to make the the, the field smaller. Uh, when, mm-hmm. when the field is small, they, they are, you know, playing in tighter quarters. That's where... They, they start to, to really make the offense work harder. And Andy Reid, knowing that, threw in a lot of uh, 
you know, trick trick plays there, uh, and you know that that one play in the first half where they scored their their touchdown with Damian Williams, they they did some spin move and that that just threw the entire defense off. That's the st- style of trickery that is needed in order to score touchdowns in the Super Bowl. That that and. and I, I know that the 49ers tried one was it looked like a reverse Philly special um, with Debo Samuel and it didn't really work. They got the first down, but it wasn't what they really wanted. Um, but the for, the Chiefs with Andy Reid, he knows how to to make those plays work, and it clearly showed. You know they they did their spin move. Damian Williams took it right to the the half yard marker, and the next play runs it right right through the the end zone. Yeah, with, with, you know it's it. I think it comes down to the confidence level when when you're Andy Reid and you're looking on the other side, see Kyle Shanahan, who's only been there as a coordinator, who was uh you know failed in that position as a coordinator because he had a twenty eight to three uh, lead evaporate before his eyes. Um, you you can understand that. You may also not have won one, but you were in it until the end, and you have plenty of coaching experience on top of him. You know what to prepare for, how to prepare. You've done it before. I, I, I think that the, the 49ers lost this game because they were outplayed on offense. They were outcoached from top to bottom, and their defense didn't get, get enough pressure or... Um, get do enough um with their turnovers I, I you know and it's hard to put it on the defense to say you know you got two interceptions you didn't do enough because from my eyes they should that should have been enough to you've turned over Patrick Mahomes twice that should be enough for your defense to say you know we, we held them we did our job we need some help from the offense to score some points here, and and if that's the 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 strength of your head coach, you got to look at him and you got to look at Jimmy, who uh, when he signed that new contract was the highest paid quarterback, highest paid player in the league. Um, you have to really wonder: Are you guys the right fit at this point? Now, I'm not calling for Jimmy to lose his his position or Shanahan to lose his job. I'm just saying, as a defense, when you've played your heart out and you've done everything you can, and your your specialty is supposed to be offense, it, it garners the question: You know, d- did they actually do everything on offense? Right. I I think that, like I said, it's it's a mix of the confidence in your quarterback and the the play calling from your coach it's, right. it failed at every level and honestly if they were due it again i don't think they'd see a different result because yeah. it's just there there's i think there maybe they'll get it with experience and just you know becoming um you know more used to each other and, and I, I would have figured. I would. I would have thought they had that figured out by now. They've been with each other for two and a half years, but uh, I guess it's going to take some more time. And you know, you're not going to get to this game. All you know, it, it's extremely hard to make it to the Super Bowl. Absolutely. You know, the the Chiefs just won their first one in fifty years, and yeah. Andy Reid won his first out of two in his entire coaching tenure. 
Right. I mean, it's not a given. You know, we, we see teams like the Broncos, the Colts, the Patriots, the Steelers, who have gotten there multiple times in our uh, viewing experience, right? So it may look easy, but it, it sure as hell is not. I mean, what we've seen over the last two decades is unparalleled to anything that the seen in a in a long time. I mean, you have certain eras that are defined by teams like, you know, the 90s was um, you had the Bills going, you had the Cowboys, but you had the Bills go four years in a row. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though they didn't win it, they they still got there for right. Um, And then the 80s, you had Joe Montana and the 49ers and, you know, the the 70s, you had the Steelers and so on and so forth. Right. The, The point I'm trying to make is that, you know, not every team is going to have that one and not every decade is going to have that one team that, that can define the entire decade. Um, so nothing's a given. And the way the 49ers are currently constructed, they probably have a window of about two to three more years before things are really going to start to take off for them because then they're going to have to pay the likes of Nick Bosa and Debo Samuel and, um, you know, Moster and George Kittle. And, you know, th- they're going to lose Richard Sherman in that in that time frame. Um, you know, they, yeah. I, I, they're yeah. going to lose pieces and they're going to also ha- not have enough money or, or cap room to, to, uh, yeah, to and sign th- certain but that, players. That's why, get, that's why it's so hard to see another dynasty. It, 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 with all of because there's I think the talent is increasingly it gets better every year in in the league you know for sure the the with the technology and everything uh, surrounded by the game at such an early age players are being developed and, and you can you know learn from someone all the way on the other side of the country and, and see how they're uh, incorporating certain skills into their play and you could learn from that. And a lot of people that are making it into the NFL have just taken their their game to such a higher level, and you now you're putting them all in into one league and and then divert you know spreading them across teams. Everybody is just so good now that it, it's just it's really about the best of the best, and, and sometimes it takes that extra thing. With you know maybe it's the coach that's the X factor now. It it might not just have to be the player. It maybe it's uh, just your mindset going into a game. It it's not always physical. It's there's so many other factors, and the Chiefs had that figured out. They really did. The Forty ers didn't, and with with everybody getting better and the the game always um, developing and and changing. I don't know if the 49ers will uh, ha, you know have another chance in the foreseeable future to make another Super Bowl run or, right. or at least get to the game. It's it's going to be tough. One of the one of the things that um you can say about the Chiefs is that because the last year, right, they were so close that they could taste it. It came to overtime in the AFC championship game. I mean, they were, they were as close as you could possibly get to, to getting to the Super Bowl last year. But then you have the San Francisco 49ers who were what two and 14, I think they were or something like that. Yeah. Um, 
so you're telling, you know, one, it has newfound success, and then one is coming off a year where they were disappointed because they they came so close to reaching their goal, but they fell just short. So I, I think there was a hunger factor with the Chiefs that the, the 49ers, even, no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't match that because you don't have your entire roster who was just close enough to get there missing out on it and that's a that's a mind you talk about mindsets that's a mindset that you can't you can't buy that's a mindset that you can't uh forge from nothing you have to experience that to be able to get to that point absolutely i mean look at everything the chiefs overcame this season you patrick mahomes was almost out for the year he was getting stepped on left and right from his offensive line his running game was garbage defense his his kneecap was dislocated from his leg exactly exactly this guy just went through the torture chamber and when you have gone through the ringer and you're able to just come out of it you're 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 better than ever your mindset is way better than you could have ever imagined and you're that puts you so far ahead of the competition because you've been into the depths of hell for lack of a better term and now you are ready to conquer and you have more confidence than ever. And the 49ers kind of just, they were the pretty boy and kind of, you know, waltzed their way to an NFC championship into the Super Bowl. They didn't really have, they were so talented from the get-go, didn't have much adversity to overcome that it was kind of a cakewalk for them. And that that also played into how they were able to uh the chief how the chiefs were able to win this game and and just dominate in the in the last 10 minutes of this game yeah absolutely i think it, it should for me personally i just want to switch gears a little bit um I, it should be noted that personally as much as you know um quarterbacks are the face of franchises and whatnot i didn't think patrick mahomes deserved the MVP. I thought it should have gone to Damian Williams. Um, I thought that he clearly did the most work out of everybody on that offense, uh, when especially in crunch time. You know, he ran for a long touchdown. He caught a huge pass that he ended up scoring a touchdown with. Um, you know, he was he was the guy that was single handedly destroying this team, this defense. Uh, it seems like everybody else was accounted for. You had. Nicole Hardman, who went went out with an injury. Sammy Watkins caught, like, one or two balls. Um, Tyree Kill, besides that one play, was basically a non-factor. Um, and then Damian Williams, you know, he had really good rushing statistics, and he was a threat uh, receiving the ball out of the backfield. So, personally, I thought he should have won the MVP. I just want to get your thoughts on that. Um, you know, it, it's I'm not exactly sure how... The Super Bowl MVP is calculated whether they take into account the entire season or if it's just that one game. I, it's just I, it's just the one game, but it, it's done by the media. See, it, the, it was tough because <coughs> I, I wouldn't have given it to Damian Williams because honestly, that last touchdown meant absolutely nothing. That once once it, was, the, it sealed the deal. It it did, but once he got that first down, the defense gave up because they knew it was over. Like honestly, I feel like they could have stopped him if they wanted to. Their will was broken. They they could care less at that point. So that was, I I don't really count that. But overall, yeah, he he had a good game. 
if if it wasn't Patrick Holmes, I thought it was Brashad Breland. Um, he he played the the best game on defense. He he had the interception. He had a key pass breakup. Uh, he, he he played a really good game, and he he was their you know their their X factor on defense. I think he he's the one who kind of kept them in this uh, and stopped their offense from the 49ers offense from gaining momentum. Uh, you know that said, I still think Patrick Mahomes was the most deserving of this of of MVP. I I don't really can't think of anybody else that if you were to trade out Patrick Mahomes for somebody else that they were able to do the same thing, make those you know dime throws when they needed to be. Uh, well, no, you know, just, Patrick Mahomes has a skill level un, unlike anybody yeah. um, in the current NFL. You know, for me personally, like I say. Um, you know, I've always said it will not always, I, you know, when I'm talking about Patrick Mahomes, I liken him to like a, uh, Aaron Rodgers meets Brett Favre, fuse them together. And, and he, here's your, your player. He's got the mobility and <clears throat> the, um, he's got the mobility and the ability to just kind of flick his wrist and the ball goes about 45 yards in the air. You, you don't really see that too many times with uh, with quarterbacks, uh, even at that level. You know, you still see the the Tom Brady's of the world who need to throw their body into it to get the the ball down 50, 60 yards. So not everybody has natural arm talent. This guy does. Um, but you know what? Uh, we all know that you know quarterbacks rule the NFL at this point in time. This is the era of quarterbacks, so it it would take a lot for the quarterback to not get the MVP. Um, that That's my only criticism um, of the NFL is that, you know, the default is the quarterback. And then if somebody, you know, really stands out, then the, they'll be considered. Otherwise it just goes to the quarterback. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think also if you, if you look at like the sounds from the game, you, you see him on the sidelines Keeping everybody, you know, positive and momentum up. He's he's been that guy throughout the playoffs where mm-hmm. he he has. They've been down every game in the playoffs, and right. they've and they've just blown right past it. And he he I think is one of the biggest reasons why his leadership is pretty much unparalleled to to a lot of these young quarterbacks. One of my favorite memes, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but Travis Kelsey talking to Patrick Mahomes, and he goes, I have an idea. What if we let everybody get a lead on us, and then we just come back and beat them, and then they're laughing <laughs> messes off. Uh, it, it just, you know, it it's almost to that point of ridiculousness how much they had to come back, tooth, fight tooth and nail, uh, to get to where they needed to go, and it ended up working out for them because they are Super Bowl Fifty Four champion. Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> hats off to them. They really, uh, they fought hard this season. They really did. They they came back from a lot of lot of adversity, and uh, they really showed that they they are deserving of it. Um, probably more so than the Forty ers you know, were. So yeah, as absolutely. much as I like a, the better you know, team won on Sunday, the, the yeah, better team, the better team did win. And, yeah. uh, you know, I want to leave it at that. Sure. So, um, we're gonna, that'll be 
pretty much the end of uh, football talk until we get to the point of the draft and free agency opening up. Um, if you guys want to talk about any specific uh, topics of football, let us know on our social media pages. Uh, we'll, we'll see what you got and uh, could be a topic on next week's show. Um, so we're going to, we're going to throw it over to basketball real quick. Um, this is some interesting news coming out of New York today. Um, it was reported by Adrian Wojnarowski uh, that the New York Knicks have fired Steve Mills as president of uh, the New York Knicks. He will no longer be uh, a part of the uh, franchise in any capacity. So that now leaves the Knicks without a GM slash president of basketball operations two days before the league trade deadline. Um, it should be noted that um, Woj also reported that uh, the Knicks are looking at Masai Ujiri as the possible replacement. Now, obviously, Masai Ujiri is still in Toronto. He's still under contract. So there's a lot of things that would have to get worked out. Um, uh, from what I'm hearing, James Dolan does not want to pay Masai Ujiri what he's getting paid now. He wants to restructure that contract and he doesn't want to give up too much in a trade for him because he wants Masai Ujiri to come in basically where they are now and just kind of do his thing with the roster. Um, so that, that is our bit of, uh, news for the day. Um, Nick, just quickly, your thoughts on Steve Mills being fired. You know, the, the firing of Steve Mills doesn't really bother me. Uh, well, it, it does um, in the fact that it was done two days before the trade deadline. That's I mean, only... it's in typical New York Knicks fashion. Oh, yeah. James Dolan is the biggest moron in the NBA right now. There, there's no question about that. And I feel bad for the players because anybody that has to play for him, that's just that's just real. I can't imagine. I mean, we're talking about the same owner, right? We're talking about the same owner that instead of being with his team on draft night, decided to go play his saxophone in a jazz club two blocks down from his from Madison Square Garden. I mean, you can't write something dumber than that. The the owner of the franchise isn't going to be there on one of the biggest nights in franchise history, and and he just he wanted to play his saxophone instead. I. Personally, I that tells me all I need to know about his ownership and and his competency level in that position. Yeah, I mean, you know, be, besides this being two days before the the trade deadline, I don't mind the firing. I don't think um, Steve Mills added anything to the Knicks. He didn't help them in any way. If you look at where this team is right now, they've been at the bottom of the league for many years now, and they're not getting any better. It usually takes like three, four years for a team to rebuild. How many years have they been doing it now? Eight, Ten, seven, eight. seven, eight years. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's... They could Basically have since the... Since Carmelo Anthony started to... That's to fall when, off. Yeah. Yeah, it was... They, and they just fell on the Carmelo Anthony... They were like, we're gonna, we're gonna sink or sail with him. And they, they sunk hard. I mean, they're the Titanic right now. They don't look like they're coming back up to shore anytime soon. Yeah, so... I mean, that that's why I'm okay with the firing. Um, I don't think that even even with even if Steve Mills were there for the trade deadline, with James Dolan right behind you, about to veto any trade that comes through because you're not willing to give up your player unless you're given Stephen Cur- uh, uh, yeah, Steph Curry and uh, uh, 
you know, Demarcus Russell and uh, D'Angelo Russell. Russell. I always do that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) D'Angelo Russell and, uh, you know, Clay Thompson. Like, if you don't get all those players for Marcus Morris, we're not making this trade. He's so unreal, unreasonable. It's ridiculous. Sounds like somebody I know in fantasy. It sounds like my entire (laughs) fantasy uh, league. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, it's just... What's the, you might it doesn't even matter at that point because you're not you're at the end of the day, no trade was going to get done. Uh, you know, you're going to be you know stuck with the team that you started with from the beginning. And honestly, I Steve Mills, even if anybody you know, whoever does take over Steve Mills's job, and it's definitely not going to be Masai Ujiri, uh. They're they're gonna have a tough time fixing this team with the restrictions put on by James Dolan. So, I'm I'm at a bit of a quandary with this, and I, I promise not to take too much time talking about the New York Knicks. But Masai Ujiri is, in my estimation, a top five executive in the National Basketball Association. I put him right up there with. Trader Danny, Danny Ainge. Um, I put him up, up there with Rob Palenka. Um, and there, there's a few others. I, I won't bore you guys with the names. But uh, Masai Ujiri going to the Knicks would be an absolute massive step in the right direction, which makes me think that the Knicks won't end up getting him. Because to <laughs> me, the Knicks just can't get out of their own. And it, it pains me to say this because I think basketball is better when the cornerstone franchises are actually doing well, when you like the one of the worst uh, years in basketball history uh, in recent memory was when the Lakers and the Celtics were both non-competitive teams, and people were just like, "Who even cares then?" Because the cornerstone franchises are the headliners that people talk about. So when you have the the Philadelphia 76ers, Celtics the Lakers, um, the the Heat, the Clippers, the, those teams, when you can really focus on those teams, I think the NBA is much more lively than it uh, than without them. So I'd, I'd love to see the Knicks get uh, Ujiri. It's going to depend what the Raptors ask for the um, but, you know, I, well, Like you said, the Knicks don't want to give; they want them for free, and that's definitely not going to happen. Yeah, I mean they're willing to give up some things, but it, it hasn't been reported what the Raptors. They'd have are to going give to up multiple for. draft picks. They'd have to, I, and I think that's what James Dolan doesn't want to do. And honestly, that would be the first correct decision he makes, uh, because I wouldn't want to give up mass amounts of draft picks either. Because if you're going to bring in a new president of basketball operations, why give him? a team that is full of power forwards, a couple rising stars, and no draft picks, and say, good luck. I mean, he's not going to be able to do anything with that. <coughs> Excuse yeah. me. So, I, I, I'm, I'm stuck in a bit of a quandary. I, like I said, this two days before the league trade deadline. I think this was the absolute worst timing. Now, mind you, Steve Mills is the guy that they hired to – to bring them out of the uh, wreckage that was Phil Jackson as president of basketball operations. So they went from 
Phil Jackson to Steve Mills to nobody. And don't forget, they fired uh, Phil Jackson right before the draft, I think it was. So, I mean, this is right on par with what the Knicks do, honestly. Yeah. Um, the, <clears throat> but, like, I, I agree with what you said. The it, the league is better off with the the cornerstones of the, the association um, playing at peak levels. But as we see it right now, the league, I think, is uh, the association is doing a lot better this year than it has done in the last uh, few years. With, and this is without the Knicks doing well. So I, I think that the Knicks don't need to be a great team for the association to thrive. I think it's, it's, it's better than it has in a, it's been in a while. And I don't think it really needs to be fixed much more than it has been. No, I, I agree. I'm just saying in general, I believe that the, the Knicks, if the Knicks were a, a team that could possibly contend for the Eastern Conference title um, and, and obviously a National Basketball Association title, I think that they would, um, there, you would have every corner of the country enthralled into basketball culture. Um, but as it stands right now, you, you, you're missing out on New York. Um, and, you know, you, it softens the blow a little because you still have Brooklyn in New York. So, you know, people can still watch Kyrie Irving. And next year they'll be able to watch Kevin and Kyrie Irving at the same time. So, so they still have some pieces there. But uh, the, the Knicks, the Knicks fan base is one that the still needs to be brought back into the fold. Um, so hopefully uh, we get some clarity as to what happens with the Knicks in, in this position. Um, personally, I would like to see Masai Ujiri go to the Knicks. I'd like to see what he can do um, and see if he can recreate what he did in Toronto and bringing a championship to, to that city, if he can do that for New York as well. Yeah. Um, um we are we are running a little bit short on time, so I don't know if we want to do uh, just a quick run through of our next topic. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm just gonna uh, so on the topic of the trade deadline, there are a few names that happen to catch our and uh, we're gonna go through what team they're currently on and then who's room to uh, be interested in obtaining their service uh, this services. Um, and then we're going to decide which team they're going to go to. And so, Nick, um, I'm going to start it off, actually, on this one. Uh, Clint Capella is uh, is the center for the Rockets right now. Um, the teams that are uh, being posted to Clint are both the Celtics and the Atlanta Hawks. Now, to me personally, I think, you know, and obviously this is a decision, but I, I like to see Clint Capella with the Boston Celtics. I think that if they can give up uh, a package that is Enos Cantor, Vincent Poirier, and Romeo Langford top of uh, one or two of their first-round draft picks that they have this year, uh, I would love to see that that package thrown at the Rockets because it opens up cap space for them. It gives them tradable assets uh, to move on from or to, to keep and grow. Uh, plus, they have the... the um, the players that will be able to uh, either mature with their team and provide them quality minutes 
or they can be players that will also be tradable in the future. So I, I think with with the package that the Celtics can offer is going to be much better than what the Atlanta Hawks can offer. And I see uh, the Rockets, if if they do move Clint Capella, it will be to yeah, I, I, I um, am along the same lines. I think that if Clint Capella goes to the Hawks, that's probably the best place for him personally. But if he wants to win now, his best place is to go to the Celtics. For the Rockets, though, I think their best option is to trade him to the Celtics because they have the draft capital and they have the players that the the Wolves are looking. For, I mean, uh, that the Rockets are looking for. Uh, so I think. It's in the Rockets' best interest and the Celtics' best interest to make this deal happen. But for Clint Capella personally, it's best for him to go to the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah. For, for the Atlanta Hawks? Yes. Okay. Um, the next person that we've seen is Carl Anthony Town. Uh, currently, obviously, the center of the Timberwolves. The two teams that we've seen him uh, linked to are both the Celtics and the Rockets. I'm going to say flat out, I don't see Carl Anthony Towns getting here. The Celtics would have to give up way too much to bring him on board. They'd have to give up the likes of Gordon Hayward and either Marcus Smart or a grouping of some of the other that I've mentioned already on top of draft picks. I think that is way too much to give up for, for a center, um, especially in the way, the way today's NBA is played. I don't know if Carl Anthony Towns is somebody that a championship team can be built around. Uh, I haven't seen it in Minnesota. I've seen uh, teams do it the way that the Celtics are doing it now. I don't see them uh, giving up what is needed to bring him on. Um, and then you're you're basically taking away from not only their depth, but their scoring as well. And I, vice versa, I don't see the, the Rockets bringing him on either. I don't think they have the assets or the cap room to, to be able to say we're going to take on his his contract. Nor do I say the, see the Rockets wanting to give Carl Anthony, uh, sorry, the Timberwolves giving Carl Anthony Towns to a rival in the Western Conference. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the center position <coughs> hasn't really been the focal point of a team since Dwight Howard was in his early days. And Carl Anthony Towns... Getting uh, he he's on a supermax contract. Not many team not many teams can afford that, and with the um, the salary cap as it is, it's hard to build a team when your center has a supermax. You're only able to throw out one other supermax, and then you only have a uh, you don't have much to go around to fill out the rest of your team. That makes it tough to trade Carl Anthony Towns, uh, and you know. This, this, I like. I, I agree with you. This trade is not going to happen. It, it, I don't care what teams are involved. I, I don't think that many teams are even, you know, trying to discuss this with the the Wolves that much because they know they'd have to give up a way too much, and b have to clear out a lot of cap space. And and he's on the books for the next three four years. So that just it puts your team in kind of a bind. And limits them because there's going to be a lot of other big names at the one, two, three position that come up in the future that you're going to want to sign, but you can't because you're locked into the super max contract with a player at your five. And I don't think that's a good position to put any team in. Right. I agree. 
I, I don't think the Timberwolves to be that contract. Nor do I think they actually want to. Uh, if anything, they're probably just taking see what they would be. You know, uh, Celtics are just throwing out there. What are you looking for in return for somebody like Carl? Yeah. I think the Rockets were doing the same. Yeah. Um, to stick with the Timberwolves, Andrew Wiggins. This was a surprise. Uh, kind of late in the day, kind of showed up, um, and the, I'm gonna I'm gonna link two of them together. So Andrew Wiggins is rumored to uh, have interest from the Golden State Warriors, and the uh, D'Angelo Russell, who is currently on the Warriors, is rumored to have um, interest from the Timberwolves. So I can see some type of uh, trade in that vein, where and it's not going to be a one for. <laughs> is much more valuable than Andrew Wiggins is at this point. But I could see some type of trade at this point where Andrew Wiggins and D'Angelo Russell switch teams and the uh, Warriors end up getting uh, some some better draft picks or they start getting some depth that they can um, really build behind because that, as it is, you know, Clay Thompson's out for the entire year. You're going to get him back next year. Steph Curry isn't getting it's time to start thinking about the future. And, you know, you're not going to get rid of those players, but you do need to start building so that, you know, when they do um, when they do eventually hang, hang up their shoes, uh, you're not left with nothing. You're not in a, you know, in a sense where, like the Knicks are right now. Yeah, I, I mean, Andrew Wiggins, I think he's just a bust. I, I think it's time to, to kind of give up on him and uh, just, you know, just release him, honestly. Like, no team wants him. I you say the the Warriors. I don't know if the Warriors really want him. The Wolves are. Yes, yeah, no, it is. This happened probably about two hours ago that this was reported that the Warriors were interested in. See, I just don't because I feel like it's going to be Andrew Wiggins and <coughs> five first round picks for someone not named D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> uh, I I just D'Angelo Russell is worth way more than Andrew Wiggins will ever be worth. And that, that's just the hard truth. I, I I don't see Andrew Wiggins going anywhere because I don't think anybody wants to, to pay him as much as he's getting with the uh, value that he brings to their team. Maybe. It could also be a change of scenery. Good, maybe unlock some potential. Um, maybe I mean, the, yeah, the Warriors possible. see something in him. I mean, we we look at this Timberwolves uh, roster and they're stacked, and it's like, how is this not working? Well, it probably is the coaches then. So, you know, I I don't. And this isn't guess, their first round of coaches, either. right? So, <clears throat> I think it might be from the top down, honest. But that that's a topic for another time. Um, I I want to move on to the next one because this one was kind of a, uh, a player that not a lot of people know of. Or- or really think of when they think of basketball, but Marcus Morris, the uh, small forward slash power forward for the New York Knicks, um, has interest from the Timberwolves, the Rockets, the Lakers, and the Warriors. Um, and these are teams that he's been linked to in the coming days. So um, personally, I think Marcus Morris uh, doesn't move. And I'm going to bring it back. I believe it's because the Knicks don't have anybody who can correctly uh, identify a good trade. I don't, you know, obviously Steve Miller gone. Um, they don't have anybody in that role. So I don't know who's going to be able to make the trade for them. It's not going to be James Dolan. He's not getting on the phone for this. So 
Um, I think Marcus Morris stays. I, I don't think they get to move him. Well, I, I think Marcus Morris stays for a different reason. James Dolan is he is the fantasy owner in your league that makes the most absurd trade offers that no one in their right mind would ever accept. And he is not going to accept anything less than a package that consists of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. <laughs> uh, you know, like it has to be so <coughs> uneven for him to even consider it. No one will ever trade with him. And it's already been reported by a lot of people that the Marcus Morris is not going to go because James Dolan is so unreasonable. It's yeah. just, it's just that you know, cut yeah. and dry. Yeah, I mean, if and again, if it weren't for that, still nobody who can pull the trigger. It would have to be James Dolan on the other phone, and as I've mentioned before. He's not the person to take time out of his day to actually care about what the Knicks are doing. So I can't imagine that he's going to be, you know, ear to the phone uh, from now until trade deadline time. I just don't, I don't see it. Um, one of the seasoned veterans that could be on the move is Andre Iguodala. Um, hasn't played for uh, this year. Um, he's with the Grizzlies right now. Uh, he's got the, the teams he's um, linked to are the Heat, the Lakers, and the Clippers. Now, I, I could definitely see him contributing to a team like the Lakers or the Clippers, giving them valuable minutes off the bench and giving them that championship pedigree that a team wants to add late in the season that can bolster their their uh, um, their bench and give them the, the mentality that they need to go win a championship. Um, so that being said, I think... Andre Iguodala, if he gets moved, would end up with the Lakers. Um, but I don't see the Grizzlies moving him. That would be an interesting spot. I don't I don't see him going to the Lakers. I think the only real team that has true interest in him is the Heat. And I I think the Grizzlies just Iguodala is forcing their hand. They have to the Grizzlies have to unload him pretty much at any cost because he's giving you zero return. And on, on their investment, and and you might as well get even a second round pick out of it, or some young player that's unproven. It's better than nothing. Uh, that's all I have to say. It's better than nothing to to get rid of him. And the Heat are your best option because they've shown the most interest. Yeah, I Andre Iguodala. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, has already said that he's not going to play the rest of the season if uh, he's not moved at the trade deadline. So, um, you know, other teams see that and they're like, oh, well, now we don't have to give this draft pick. We can give them this this crappier one instead. Uh, or we don't have to give up this specific player. We can give up, you know, somebody deeper on the bench or somebody who's more project type of player. Uh, so that'll be interesting to watch. Um, and then a couple names that... Um, are kind of under the radar right now. I'm going to start with Tristan Thompson. Um, he has already told the Cavaliers out. He wants nothing to do with Cleveland anymore. Um, he's He hasn't gone Iguodala status, and he's not going to play anymore. But he has made it very clear he does not be in Cleveland anymore. Uh, and to me, there's only one suitor at this point. Um it would be the Clippers. The, the Cavaliers don't want him in the Eastern Conference, so you're already taking the Hawks and the Celtics out of this. And, um, you know, it's rumored that the Clippers are 
a big man that can uh, take over for Ivica Zubac um, because they, they want somebody with a little more power, a little more uh, rebounding ability down low. Uh, and I think Tristan Thompson hits exactly what they're looking for. Tristan Thompson, he, he's not the best player. He's not the worst player. He's just an average player. Uh, if he, With the Clippers as the only interested team in him, he might have more su- success with the Clippers because they have more talent than just Kyle Love. Um, Kevin Love, sorry. Um, I, He's not worth a lot, and if... You know the the Cavs are going through a rebuild. I would honestly try to try to get rid of him and just acquire draft picks. I wouldn't try to acquire talent um, from another team. Do I see him yeah. getting traded? No, I I don't. But I, if I were the Cavaliers, I would try to just try to unload him, even if it's for a second round pick. Right. Uh, I I would try to I would try to make this trade. <clears throat> But I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's the best in, in the best interest of the Clippers to, to add Tristan Thompson. I mean, the for for the Clippers, I think it would work out really well. For the Cavaliers, I, I can't see them getting anything of value in this trade. Uh, so I don't know. For that reason, I I don't think because the Cavalier the Clippers don't have any value to to, if, to throw at in, them. Even in the championship Cavalier days. You know, Tristan Thompson was an average player. He wasn't anything special. But that's what they need. Ivica Zubats is that. They need somebody with his championship pedigree, somebody who's been there, and somebody who can defend the likes of Anthony Davis or or you know somebody else down low. They don't have that. The the that's what the the Clippers are looking for now. And I agree. I think I think if they were to add a piece at the five or or the the Heavy four, um, like the next player we're going to talk about, I think they could they could be sitting really pretty and probably be the best uh, team in the league. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the next player, obviously, um, it, not shocked that they're in this position, but uh, Al Horford is be- being shopped by the Philadelphia 76ers after signing a contract to get him away from Boston this year. Uh, they don't like what the offense has become while he's on the floor. Uh, it seems like things just kind of slow down when he's there. Um, and uh, just like Tristan Thompson, I think the only suitor that they're willing to listen to at this point would be the uh, Los Angeles Clippers. So I, I don't see him getting moved uh, just because I, I, the Clippers, again, don't have anything the 76ers really want. I just don't know how bad they want to move on from him versus getting anything in return. Well, I think the 76ers are going to try to get a pretty good return on uh, on their investment in Al Horford. They gave him a sizable contract. Uh, this is a player that he, I believe Al Horford was there at the end of Doc Rivers' uh, Celtics days. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I'm uh, pretty sure they no, already he, uh, have maybe. Um, a little bit of a, a history with each other. Um, and, and at the beginning of Al Horford's career with the Celtics, uh, they he was you know playing really well. 
So I think that Al Horford would fit better with the Clippers and their play style. 76ers just, they have Joel Embiid who plays a, a slower style. And when you add Al Horford, who has that, that you know, slower style of play, it's it just, you can't keep up with the general style of play in the NBA, which is very fast-paced transition offense. It, do, it doesn't work. And right. I think it's, I think it, it would benefit the 76ers to move on from Al Horford. And it would, um, you know, I think it would definitely benefit the Clippers um, in adding Al Horford. I think if, if they can find the right, um, the right pairing of, you know, what, what they need to trade to each other to make this happen, I think it would be a win-win. Um, it all depends on what the 76ers are offering and what the Clippers are willing to give up. Right. Absolutely. Um, it'll be interesting. Al Horford on that team gives them spacing opportunities, gives them re- rebounding ability. Um, they already play a slower pace offense, so he's not going to hinder them at all. Uh, so it'll be, an, it'll be an interesting, good fit for them, but uh, definitely interesting to uh say the least. The last player I want to cover would be Robert Covington. Um, Now, people may say, you know, who's that? Or, you know, he's not really that big of a player. Well, based on his numbers, he's probably one of, if not the best three and D guy in the league um, and has been for quite some time. So um, he's currently with the Timberwolves. The teams he's uh, related to or are linked to right now are the Bucks, the Rockets, the Mavericks, the 76ers, and the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, I think that Robert Covington gets moved. I don't think that he gets to stay in the Western Conference, so that moves the Rockets and Mavericks out of the way. Um, that leaves the 76ers, who he played for last year, uh, the Bucks or the Lakers. Uh, the, it moves the Lakers out of the way as well. Um, I think he. Go, I think there's a uh, reuniting in Philadelphia, and he becomes a 76er again. I, I think now, call me crazy, but if Al Horford were to go, that would clear the cap space for Robert Covington, um, and I, I Robert Covington could play the four, if need be, so that would be a pretty seamless transition. Al Horford out, you know, fill in with Robert Covington. That that would that would work. He's been, be an undersized you know, he'd, four. He'd be an undersized four, but a lot of teams play small ball. You still have Joel Embiid. It's not like you're completely small. Um, Robert Covington. I, I I think that the the Bucks. I I don't see that ever happening. They don't. They'd have to give up a player that they're not going to want to in order to make the space for him. Um, the Rockets. I, I just don't. I don't see that being a fit. Um, I don't. I don't think the unless they're giving up Clint, Clint Capella for Robert Covington, which would make absolutely no sense. You don't want Capella right. and Cat. Um, that you know that that I don't. The Rockets don't really have anything else they're they're going to give up that that makes sense that equals Robert Covington. Um, same thing with the Mavericks. You you have um, Porzingis, and you have um, um, I'm sorry, I'm blanking right now. Um, their point guard. 
but you know, like just like the Rockets, they don't have really anything else that equals a trade for Robert Robert Covington. Their trade assets, with the way the Mavericks are playing, you're talking a second, you know, back half of the the first round. Um, right. The Seventy Sixers, I mean, and and then the Lakers. Lakers could give a few different players, like um, Avery Bradley, Kyle Kuzma. Uh, those maybe maybe if that type of package would work. That's the. I think the Lakers are the only other option besides the 76ers that. But I can't see the really war, the Timberwolves giving keeping him in the Western Conference. Yeah, that that, that I guess that's the biggest hindrance uh, from that trade happening. So that, that's right. why the 76ers make the most sense. Yeah, I agree. Um, <clears throat> uh, as we said, you know the trade deadline is two days from now so it'll be uh thursday february 6th i think it ends at 4 p.m eastern standard time uh so be on the lookout for everything that we talked to let us know uh what your thoughts are on some of the trades that we threw out there uh let us know what you think about the knicks and possibly adding masai ujiri uh, and until next week we'll uh we'll talk to you guys later take care